they started playing that song, and I was like, sounds very familiar. And I realized I'd been listening to the whole worship set on Spotify all week. And uh, <laughs> I was like, woo! Uh, one of the things, I know I usually say this in announcement time, but if you're sitting there going, that was a great song, I'd like to hear it again, or you need those words to encourage you sometime this week, um, we've got an app for that. And uh, Spotify allows us to take the songs we share with you all on Sunday morning and put them in a little playlist and you can listen to them all week long. So take advantage of that because it's awesome and man, I'm jazzed up already. So uh, let me just start off by telling you a story. There was this high-powered Chicago attorney and like most attorneys in Chicago, uh, they have to leave the city from time to time to, you know, get things squared away in their heads. So he decided he was going to go out dove hunting in Texas. Uh, he's out in Texas, and he's dove hunting, and he shoots a dove, and it falls over a fence. So the attorney climbs the fence, and he sees the dove, and he's, he's going to get the dove. He also sees this rough-looking Texas farmer approach him on a tractor, and the farmer says, Hey, what are you doing here? The attorney says, Well, I'm, I'm dove hunting, and then I shot this dove, so I've crossed over the fence uh, to come and get it. And the farmer, Amen. The farmer says, you can't do that. This is private property, and you are trespassing. Well, the attorney, being an attorney, puffs out his chest, and he says, hey, if you don't give me my dove, I'll sue you. The wise old Texan said, well, that's not how we do it around here. (laughs) Attorney says, well, how do you do it down here in Texas? He says, farmer tells him, he says, we we have this rule. It's called the Texas three-kick rule. The attorney was kind of puzzled. He says, well, what's the Texas three-kick rule? And the farmer explained, it's, it's very simple. I kick you three times, then you kick me three times, and we go back and forth until one of us gives up, and whoever gives up decides what's going to happen uh, with your trespassing and with the dove. And the attorney thought for a minute, and he said, you know what, let's do the Texas three-kick rule. So this old Texan gets off his tractor, and he's got on these big, heavy cowboy boots. He says, I'll start, and he walks over, and he Kicks that attorney right square in the leg. Whew. That attorney yelled, but he stayed up. He didn't fall. The farmer kicks him again right in the exact same spot. And he doubles over. He falls to the dirt. He's in agony. And the farmer just rears back and kicks him right square in the head. The attorney is seeing stars at this point. He staggers up to his feet and he kind of catches his breath. He squeaks out, no, nah, it's my turn. The Texas farmer says, no, nah, I give up. You can have your dove. Get off my land. The moral to that story (laughs) is that sometimes a good swift kick with a cowboy boot may move things along, but not all problems can be solved with a swift kick, unfortunately. Uh, (laughs) The lawyer was trespassing. He he climbed the fence to get the dove. He, He crossed the barrier to get that what he desired, if you will. What would you say is the number one barrier between us and God? In one word, what would you say it is? Sin. Very good. You know, a cowboy boot won't help sin. We may want it to from time to time. And today, the story continues for us with how God removes that sin barrier. We're going to open up the story with God's new nation and its need for deliverance. You remember, last week we talked about how Joseph brought the new nation to Egypt to preserve the lineage of Jesus, to save them from famine. Well, now many, many years have passed, and God's new nation is actually in danger of annihilation being in Egypt. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you uh, again for today, for the opportunity we had to be here. Lord, I just ask that as we, as we look at this story, as we look at deliverance, we'll, we'll put ourselves in the place, uh, 
knowing that we need to be delivered, knowing that you're the one who, the only one who can deliver us. I pray that we'll, we'll listen with our, our hearts and our minds wide open and that we'll leave here differently than we came this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 1 tells us the new nation was in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. And a new Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph came to power. And this new Pharaoh, he was intimidated by the growth of the new nation. He was intimidated by the growth of the Israelites. He feared that they would become so numerous they would just take over. And so he ordered the death of all newborn Hebrew boys. Now I have a question for you. Did these 400 years of slavery, did they take God by surprise? No. You see, God had revealed to Abraham that this would happen. Back in Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, God told Abraham this was happening. Now, here's another question. Well, since God told Abraham this was going to happen and this slavery would happen, did God cause the slavery? No, he didn't. I want to make that very clear. God did not cause it. It was a result from the fear and the sin of the Egyptian people. And our God uses the oppressive sinfulness of the Egyptians as an opportunity He uses it as an opportunity to reveal himself to all people once again, especially to his nation. You see, in this story of deliverance, God is going to reveal himself in three ways. You could write these down if you want. In the deliverance of his people, God will reveal his name, his power, and his plan. Okay? He's going to reveal his name, his power, and his plan. First off, God reveals his name. If you have your story Bible, turn to page 45. And uh, we're going to start off about halfway down that page, as soon as I find it. We're going to start off about halfway down page 45 in the Story Bible. <clears throat> and uh, if you don't have your Story Bible, by the way, we're in uh, Exodus chapter 3, starting with verse 1. So it goes like this. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring, out, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. 
And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. He tells Moses, I am that I am. That's Yahweh. I am that I am. It means the self-existent one. And God chooses Moses to lead the deliverance. You may not know this. Moses felt disqualified. He felt ill-equipped. And so God equipped him for the task of confronting Pharaoh. First off, he tells him his name. He reveals his name to Moses. I am who I am. And he begins to equip him for the task of confronting Pharaoh with God's demand of let my people go. Second, God reveals his power in the ten plagues. We're jumping ahead a little bit in the ten plagues against the gods of Egypt. Now, you're going to read about this in more detail as you read through the story Bible in Exodus chapter 7 through 13. But through Moses, God brings these plagues. Now, here's something to consider. And I hadn't really thought about this until I started looking into the story. But in Moses' time, there were no atheists. Think about that for a second. People believed in God. Okay, they either believed in God as Yahweh or they believed in gods with a little G. But everybody believed in a God of some sort in this time frame. The key question that seemed to be going around was, who is the most powerful God? And so God's revealed his name and now he's going to begin to reveal his power. And it's impressive because God uses the plagues. They harden Pharaoh's heart and he reveals his mighty power. And there's something else you need to know about the people in Moses' time. They were also a little bit of a superstitious bunch, if you will. Especially those who worshipped many gods with a little G, not a big G, like our God. I like to think of the first nine plagues as attention getters. But some people are stubborn and slow learners. And and even Pharaoh, for the first couple of plagues, he had sorcerers and magicians that were able to, to explain away some of that. But these first nine plagues to Pharaoh... They weren't just attacking him. Listen to this. Plague number one, the Nile River and all their water, for that matter, turns to blood. Now, again, the Egyptians worshiped many gods and many things, and the Nile was a sacred river to them. And so so, as well as some of the fish and even the crocodiles in the Nile were all part of their religious system. And so God turns their sacred river to blood, killing the fish, killing crocodiles. When you when you play that whole thing out, it just didn't work out well. And, And then... So that's just the start. You would think that that Pharaoh would kind of start to get a clue. This is way bigger than him. Magicians, sorcerers were able to kind of explain it away, if you will. And then God says, oh, you worship frogs. That's nice. They're sacred to you. You love frogs. Good, good. Here's some frogs. Frogs everywhere. Frogs in the food. Frogs in the bed. Frogs everywhere. Anybody like frogs? I'm not real. I mean, I'm not against them, but I don't want them all up in my house, you know? The frogs were everywhere. Then the frogs go away. And and then lice. And you may think, well, what's the big deal with lice? Here's the thing. The Egyptians were were extremely clean people. I would call them the first OCD people. Like when you read about the Egyptians, like the pharaohs, everybody was always like dressed in white. And they were always, they they always presented themselves without spot or blemish. That was their whole thing. And so so here's, here's God. And he's like, oh, you're clean. Lice everywhere. 
Life's on you. Life's on your animals. Life's in your bed. Again, just like the frogs, you open up the flower jar. There's life in your flower. Oh, this attacked their OCD cleanliness, if nothing else. Okay, But it was an intolerable issue for their worship because they had these creepy, crawly, little, tiny critters on them. They couldn't worship their gods like that. Oh, Pharaoh, you like flies. You worship flies too. Good. Here's flies. Ha. Again, I'm not against flies, but in the summertime, I don't leave the door wide open and just say, come on in, flies. Another plague. And this plague was used to blaspheme their gods and, and to exploit some of their religious superstitions and, and just flies so thick you probably couldn't. I mean, they, you see a little swarm go by and you go, huh. What do you think about a, a swarm of flies would fill this building where we wouldn't really be able to look at each other? There's a lot of flies. Side note to flies, uh, they bring maggots with them too. That's just, that's just how God created it. The flies have little babies and it's just, ugh. There you go, Pharaoh, worship that. Huh? And then this one's one of my personal favorites. It's, it's murane, a disease that killed all the cattle. All the cattle died. Now here's, here's what's crazy about it. Cattle were not just their property or their, 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 their farm equipment and stuff like that. It was one of their deities. It was one of their gods with a little G was cattle. And so here's Yahweh. He's killing their gods with disease. You tell me who's more powerful. You would think at this point, Pharaoh would start to go, wow, this, this Yahweh guy, he's not to be messed with. But no, it wasn't enough. They had to get boils. Anybody ever had a boil? Just one? Oh, it, I read in, a, uh, in an article that I was, I was studying about the, the plagues. And it said that this was, this was almost like leprosy for the Egyptians. It said that in Egyptian history, this plague of boils is referred to as the botch of Egypt. I was like, ooh, I didn't know that. The botch of Egypt. That's bad news. As if that wasn't enough, here comes the fun stuff. Hail. It caused ruin on plants and animals and infrastructure. Pharaoh still refuses to admit defeat. And at this point, his magicians are out of answers. They're out of replications. But then come the locusts. Now think about this. Anything the hail didn't destroy that was like a crop or a tree, the locusts are going to come in. All right? And, and the locusts took care of the rest of that. And then my favorite plague is darkness. Now why darkness? Because Pharaoh considered himself a god. And, and all of the pharaohs did, like I said earlier. And, and Pharaoh even considered himself the rising and the setting sun. And basically, whatever Pharaoh said, it happened. I think, how fitting is it that, that our God, the creator of the sun, enveloped all of Egypt in complete and total darkness for three days, except for the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were at? How cool is that? I'll show you rising and setting sun, Pharaoh. Pitch black. You'd think that these nine plagues would have been enough for Pharaoh to just say, hey, you know what, go, leave me. But he wouldn't do it. The scripture says his heart was continually hardened and he refused to allow the Israelites to leave. Here comes plague number 10. Now this plague not only reveals God's power, but it points the Israelites and it points us to his plan. And, and I think it even points back to some of the history of Egypt. And, and it's the, the death of the firstborn. Because see, here, is just, just prior to this, Pharaoh kills all the male babies. All right? And so now here's the 10th plague, and, and God is revealing his plan because the 10th plague requires the shedding of the lamb's blood in order for the Israelites to not be affected by it. And so this is a, it's a crucial point in the story. Turn your Bibles, your story Bibles, to page 51. I'm going to read some of this. 
And uh, if you're following along in your Bible, we're in Exodus chapter 12 now. We've, we've jumped all the way up to chapter 12, and we'll start with verse 1. But here's what the Bible says. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that the, on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. <clears throat> the animals that you choose must be year-old males uh, without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, Then, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb that same night. They are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. <clears throat> um, uh, we're going to skip down. To Exodus 12, verse 11. This is how you are to eat it. With your sandals on, with your cloak tucked into your belt, with your sandals on, your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. Pharaoh, you, you took our baby boys. I'm wiping out everything you have that's firstborn, of, that is male, animals and people. And I will bring judgment on all of the gods of Egypt. Yahweh is not messing around. I am the Lord. Verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. We're in verse 21 now. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the door, on the top of and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all of the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. Really? What are you thinking, Pharaoh? <laughs> 400 years of slavery? Repeatedly telling them no and then, by the way, go but bless me. Just a thought. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country for otherwise they said we will all die. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions, that's all the tribes, left Egypt. God remembered his enslaved people and he rescued them. They packed their carts with supplies and spoils that were freely given to them by the Egyptians and they prepared for a long and dusty journey. God provided a surefire way for them to stay on course day and night. He put a, a pillar and a cloud of fire uh, before them during the day, and, or cloud during the day, fire at night. Uh, but their deliverance from Egypt wasn't yet complete. 
Now, this is still that story of God showing his power, showing who the real God is, showing them who Yahweh is. By, by day, we're verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 21, if you're still following along. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither pillar, the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. We're going to Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near pi Haharoth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden his, Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. Uh, just a few minutes ago, he said, leave and bless me. But then he changes his mind. Wait a minute. He says, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and we have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready. He took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. That's a big army. The Lord had hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Haharoth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. I love Moses' answer. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Oh man, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. The new nation left Egypt by an undeniable demonstration of the power of God. It is seen in the plagues, all right, amping up through the plagues and to the crossing of the Red Sea. God will use his story to get our undivided attention. He will use his story to show us just how far he's willing to go to pursue a relationship with us. Listen, this could be a cowboy boot moment for you. I don't know where you're at, but I know this. We are all in slavery to sin. Not all of us are in slavery to the same sin. And just to be clear, Satan, the destroyer, death, it is coming. And we need the blood of the lamb, just as the Israelites did. Maybe your question is, where do I get it? John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's speaking of Jesus. And then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5.7, For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. One of the biggest clues for us in the story is in the deliverance. You see, the children of Israel, they were covered. They were protected by the blood of the Lamb. Have you asked in faith for the, for the blood of Jesus to be put on the doorframe of your soul? Do you need salvation? Let's be honest for a minute. Everybody in this room 
knows the name of one person who needs salvation. Everybody in this room knows the name of one person that needs salvation. I don't know. It it may be you. You may be that person. And that's okay. But here's what I want you to do today. This is your assignment. I want you to take out your bulletin or a piece of paper. Grab a pen. You can even do this on your phone if you set a reminder for it. I want you all to write down the name, just one name, of one person that you know who needs salvation. One name, one person that you know. And, and, and again, if the person that needs salvation is you, that's okay. Write your own name down. If, if you're on that, in that place where you haven't accepted Christ, if, if you're not there yet, write your own name down. Because this week, as you live out the story, I want you to commit to praying for that person every day by name. Your prayer is simple, that wherever they live, wherever they are, God will put someone in their path that will speak to them about his story, about salvation, about what Christ has done for them. If you wrote your own name down, you can pray that prayer for yourself this week, or you can just check it off as an answered prayer because I just spoke to you about salvation. See how that works? I set you up for that one. I really want to encourage you, put a name down. Make that a focal point of your prayer this week. No matter whose name you've written down, the reality is this. The deliverance from sin is free, but you must ask for it. You must humble yourself. The Israelites at one point said it would have been better for us to die as slaves. God said, no, that's not what my story is. You're not to die as a slave to your sin. I want you to die free in the land that I'm going to give you. So follow me and I'll take care of your slave problem. And he did. He washed out all of Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. We have to ask for it. We have to humble ourselves. You don't have to get cleaned up and perfect first. Let me make that really clear. You ask. If you've never asked God to apply the blood of Jesus to your life, you could do that right now. We're coming into our response time. All you have to do is come forward. Humble yourself. Salvation is simple. Do you believe what you've heard about Jesus? If so, the Bible says, when we hear the word of God and believe in it and repent of our sins and confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we accept him as our Lord and Savior and we're baptized. That not only are we forgiven of our sins, but we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready to let God break down that barrier in your life? Are you tired of playing Texas three kick with the devil? Even as a Christian, we get caught up in that. We, we get into that sin and then Satan kicks us around. He's like, ah, oh, it's all right. You can go back to church. I don't mind. And about Tuesday or Wednesday, he's kicking us around again. I'm tired of playing Texas three kick with the devil. It's time to respond. It's time for your deliverance. No more willful slavery to sin, whether your response is for baptism or you're a Christian who needs to repent and just rededicate and seek out some new accountabilities in life. Will you stand and sing with us and decide how you will respond to God this morning? My question is this. Will you respond like Pharaoh with a hardened heart, thinking you still know what's best? Or will you respond like Moses, knowing your own shortcomings, but willing to go and speak and live out God's story? Think on that as we sing this song. It's been great to be with you all this morning and to worship God through prayer and songs and offering and communion. I don't know about you, but like I said, when I started out, I started out jazzed up. I'm really jazzed up and ready to go. But as you go this week, as you live out the story, as you pray for the person whose name you wrote down, remember this. Our job is to tell the story, to declare how amazing is our God. If people choose not to believe or don't want to accept these truths, it doesn't make them any less true. 
Because just like Pharaoh's time came, there's a time coming where every knee will bend, every head will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether they're doing it willfully out of worship and reverent respect for the Lord or out of fear and trembling like the Egyptians trying to flee the Red Sea, it will happen. God will deliver his people from sin and preparing a place for us to be with him for eternity. Until that day, don't just read the story, live it. Have a great week.